talking about family worship. And so um, uh, we'll dive into that in a second. Uh, a couple details. One, uh, on November 13th, we're going to have our first, uh, it's called Cross Point Connect. And it's a time where visitors can come over to the Treehouse Basilica Annex building and, um, and have some time with uh, leadership and uh, Life Group Shepherds to ask questions. We'll give them some information. We're trying to have a, a concerted effort as a church to get better feedback and follow up with our visitors and make sure they know we love them and care about them. And so we're going to be doing that. So if you have invited anybody or you know anyone who's been visiting and might benefit from that, you might encourage them in that on Sunday. As well, um, by November 13th, we got some letters that were writing to the Thorntons, just encouragement. Amelia's about to have her third big surgery. And right now, something we're going to pray about is um, they're trying to get her well and keep her well so that they can put a heart cath in, which will prepare her for this third surgery, which is a big deal, which is engaging a whole other part of her heart. So we're writing letters of encouragement and love to them that we'll be sending out here in the next couple weeks as well. Um, <clears throat> keep an eye on the the calendar on things going on in November. This is the time of year where we all thought things were crazy, but somehow they get crazier because of holidays. And so um, keep an eye on the calendar and make sure we stay on top of things because uh, there's some pretty sweet stuff coming up. So I'd like to pray and then we'll dive right in. Lord, we come to you now and we humble ourselves before you and we just thank you for this time. Uh, tonight as we talk about family worship, uh, I pray that you would guide us in what that looks like for each of us. I think it has the potential to be different for each family. And so we humble ourselves before we just ask you to speak to us through your word and through some examples tonight. Uh, Lord, we ask. Uh, we also want to pray for uh, the Thorntons and particularly for Amelia as, as they're trying to get her ready for this pretty major uh, open heart surgery. Uh, our prayer is that you would get her well and keep her well. No sniffles, no cough. Uh, so that they can put the heart cath in and get her ready. Uh, Lord, um, winter time in Germany is a really hard time not to have sniffles. And so we're, we're praying that you would just keep her well and, and help her to overcome any kind of sickness so that they can prepare and not have any um, complications with the surgery. We also pray just for Derek and Casey and just that you would uh, encourage them. It's so difficult to continue to see these kinds of major surgeries on one of your little ones and just help them to be on the same page, uh, encourage them in the truth, steady them, and, uh, and just uh, make it to where your, your presence with them is, is really obvious. Give them a real sense of your presence. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, we're talking about family worship, and this is sort of a standalone. Um, th this whole semester has been a, uh, a little bit different. Generally, we go through books of the Bible, and we go through a survey study where we have like you know, two weeks on each book, and we take a survey study approach, sort of 30,000 feet up, and a uh, big picture on what are the main points of the book, what's going, uh, what do we need to know coming from it. But this semester, we decided to take some time to just kind of look at some, some foundations of our faith and some foundations of, you know, just the movement of Christian families and how we, how we go from day to day and things we need to know. We've talked about um, church discipline. Uh, we've talked about the Trinity uh, tonight we're talking about family worship. This is standalone. A lot of what I'm going to be teaching on tonight comes from a book called Family Worship by a guy named Don Whitney. He's one of my seminary professors at Southern Seminary. And uh, as you can expect, he, he assigned his own books as reading material for the class. Uh, but this is a good one, and, it's, and it's, it's challenging to me. And I've got a bunch of them. Uh, if you can't afford one, you can take one of these. If you want to buy one, there's a little deal out there. These will be on the table afterwards, and we can order more if you like, or you can jump on Amazon and get them. I think they're like a few bucks each, so um, these are free for tonight uh, for whoever would like them, and I'll have them on the table uh, afterwards. As we approach this, I want to make it clear. Um, I have five children, and uh, two are homeschooled, two are in public school, and one of them is still a, very much a baby. And what I'm going to talk about tonight is something that I'm not really all that great at. And so I want to be honest about that up front, because I would be a really incredible hypocrite if I got up and was like, well, let me tell you how to do this, as though I was doing this really well. Um, I, I feel like we're, we kind of got to come in low, and we all, we're approaching this together. You don't have tonight uh, a sage on the stage guru telling you how to do it. I'm striving 
with you because as we talk about these things, the obvious challenges are we know what we're called to with our families, but that's not all that life has us called to. And so like, for example, I have three children playing soccer right now and I'm coaching one of those teams. And so we're talking about something that should happen every day in our homes when we have free time. We don't have any free time. Like, it starts before the sun comes up, and it ends at lunch slash bedtime, which is hard to discern the difference between some nights. And so uh, we have soccer practices on Monday, on Tuesday, and then we have Wednesday nights here, and then we have soccer practices on Thursday, and then we have co-op on Friday, and then we have soccer games on Saturday. And so like this Saturday, for our family, we have seven games. And so some of the things we're going to talk about tonight, when and if I have free time, this isn't necessarily what I default to wanting to spend my time doing. But that's what makes it a challenge, is because we are called to, uh, to share and teach what it means to worship God and who He is with the next generation. And that's the main emphasis of this. So I wanted to be really honest up front that this isn't, it's sort of like someone introducing a diet that had never, that hasn't really mastered it. And so um, if it was a diet, it'd be more obvious, uh, but this is more heart issue. And so I just want to be honest that like, this is, this is something that is uh, a challenge to me. When I went through the class uh, last semester, a couple semesters ago, it was challenging to me then. And it was something that I thought, man, this is an area for growth uh, for our church, for myself. And um, the thing is, it's not real complicated. That as, as I was preparing for the study tonight, I was like, this isn't like some like, I don't know if there's going to be any moments where you're like, mind blown, I've never thought to, you know, read my Bible with my family. But it's a matter of the disciplines behind it and the motivation that, that fuels those disciplines. So when I say family worship, what's the first thing that comes to mind for you? Bible study. Yeah, reading the Bible. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. What else? Praying together? Yeah, yeah, a day at home. Yeah, sort of a day where we're not going to be distracted by anything else. This is for the Lord and we're going to focus. Anything else come to mind? No one said like, easy to do and successful. Uh, We got that. Um, What were some of y'all's experiences growing up? I'm kind of interested to hear this. I I, want to hear what... What were y'all's experiences growing up in your homes when it came to worshiping God inside of the home? What would that look like for y'all? Did anybody have it consistently growing up? Was it a consistent thing growing up? Advent? Yeah. Yeah, I I can think of holidays, yeah, where it was like... Yes. And usually when we did Advent, it would be like, all right, well, it's December 13th. And so let's knock out, you know, 12 days here, and then we do the same thing again about 10 days later. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's some of what I, what I remember. So does anybody have any experience with it, Bill? What impact did that have on you? Uh, very positive. Yeah. Uh, I was already a believer uh, hmm. before they were. And uh, so uh, 
Yeah. I thought that was wonderful. Them, you being a believer and them not, and then them coming home and, and stating that and saying, we're going to do this. I bet that was pretty incredible. What about, uh, does anyone have anything that they do consistently as a family now? What do you guys do? That's awesome. That's awesome. good has anyone has anyone tried to um like instate a devotional or a quiet time and you had such a high expectation on your first encounter that it just went terrible has anyone had that experience good yeah yeah i I mean at most of the times i try it i feel like i had that experience and so that's kind of what i wanted why i wanted to talk about this tonight because it simplifies it and it, and it, and it makes it, it gives us some realistic expectations for what I think God expects of families. I want to share a quote with you and I want to just I want you to think to yourself, what do you think about this quote? How does this strike you? It is unlikely that exposure to the church once or twice a week will impress your children enough with the greatness and glory of God that they will want to pursue him once they leave your home. I'll read it again. It is unlikely that exposure to the church once or twice a week will impress your children enough with the greatness and glory of God that they will want to pursue Him once they leave your home. What we're talking about tonight is not something that replaces the church. I want to be very careful about that because we're going to use some terms like having a little church with your family. Um, But this is not something that replaces the church. But at the same time, I want everybody to understand that that the church was never intended, the congregational gathered church was never intended to replace family worship in your home. And so we're going to look at some history of that here. But before we get into the scripture and the nuts and bolts of family worship, I just want to make it really clear that the main motivation behind this whole thing is that God deserves to be worshipped in your homes. God deserves to be worshipped every day by every member of the family who is believing. And so there are, there are, we're going to talk a little bit about something about who leads that and what that looks like and what God expects But the motivation behind it is that God deserves to be worshipped every single day in our homes. And if we allow ourselves just to be driven to and fro by whatever the schedule throws at us, that is very unlikely to happen. It is easy. I'm a pastor. I love Jesus. And it is not hard to go a whole day without us worshipping God in our home because there's so much else to do. And then when there's nothing to do, you've got this box that will 
turn on and people will talk and give you all kinds of things that you can do for however many hours you want. Some biblical examples of family worship. Go ahead and put that slide up. Biblical examples of family worship. I want us to see that this isn't just some scheme that someone brought up. The Bible uh, talks about family worship kind of in the same way it talks about Trinity. There's, there's not a whole lot of specific um, uh, statement made, but it is very clear when you read through Scripture that, um, there are, that family worship was a significant thing for our patriarchs uh, in the Old Testament, and it never stopped after Christ and on into the New Testament. And so uh, one thing I encourage, if, if, if you're trying to write the notes down, if we're moving too fast, um, just, just take a picture of the screen, and, and, and you, can, you can do that as well. That, that's fine. I'm not going to scold anybody for holding your phone up and taking a picture, unless you're taking it of yourself, and I'll mock you in front of everybody. Um, turn to Genesis 18. In Genesis 18, or the first example I want to look at of family worship is Abraham. In Genesis 18, verse 16, it says, Then the men... The, these, are, these were visitors. These were guests that Abraham and Sarah uh, entertained. They showed hospitality. They showed love to strangers. And they, they found out as they were entertaining these strangers that, that it, it would appear that one of them was Jesus and two of them were angels. Lots of people have different views of that. That's, that's what I believe is going on here. But then these men uh, who have engaged them, Abraham and Sarah, who are going to be patriarchs of, the, of, the, of the, those who are uh, following God, God's going to bless them with a child, and he's going to bless the entire earth through the offspring and lineage of, of, of these two. And it says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham went with them uh, to set them on their way, which is kind of funny, because given who it is, they probably could have figured it out on their own. Um, verse 17, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him. We're talking about God choosing Abraham for something specific, and the reason that the choosing has everything to do with those who would come after Abraham, the offspring of Abraham, which is the Gentiles sitting in this room right now. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. What was the purpose of God choosing Abraham? What was the purpose? It would be the lineage of his chosen people. And what was the expectation for Abraham? to command his household to keep the way of the Lord. Were there many people worshiping the one true God in Abraham's day? No. It's a lot like the time of Noah. Remember, God looked down to the earth and, and all, every intention of every thought was only evil continually. It was a dark time for creation. It was a dark time for humanity. And God redeemed Noah and put him on the ark and saw him through that watery ordeal. You've heard Ben explain that with beautiful imagery. It was very similar here for Abraham. Um, in Genesis 11, when the Lord confused the people's languages and scattered them after the Tower of Babel, it's very difficult to identify anyone else in the world at this point in the Bible outside of Abraham's family who genuinely loved the one true God. So the question is, when would Abraham have done this? When would Abraham have commanded his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice? When would he have commanded them to, to follow the way of the Lord? And the answer is at home. Like sometimes we, there's a, a thing that we do when we read Old Testament or we read history and we just kind of impose on it what is the norm for ourselves now. It's very easy for us to think, well, they probably did that at church. They were the church. That's why that's, it's more than semantics. The church isn't a building. It's a people. It's not a place you go. It's an identity. It's who you are. And this was the church. This was how it started. And so how would he accomplish what God has commanded him to do in, in encouraging his family and his household to keep the ways of the Lord? He would do it at home. Look at Genesis 22. Here's an example 
of the fa- of him carrying through with it because we know that the the one that they were blessed with was Isaac and then after being blessed with Isaac we know that Abraham uh, was called to sacrifice Isaac and it's confusing when you're looking at it because you're thinking good grief they're over a hundred years old it's not real likely they get pregnant they did get pregnant they finally had this blessed child and now God's saying to sacrifice uh, the child and it, it's kind of a confusing chapter if if you get the details out of order but look at 22.6 Something beautiful that we see in this confusing chapter says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so they, they went both of them together. So they're going up, uh, up the mountain to, to make a sacrifice. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. How did Isaac know what to look for there? They've done this before. This wasn't some bizarre ritual that Isaac was completely in the dark about that he'd never experienced. Isaac knew what to look for. Dad, where's the sacrifice? We have the wood. We're doing what we do. Uh, we, we, um, we're familiar with sacrifices. We're familiar with worship of God. But Isaac would have learned that in his home with his father leading him. The next example is Joshua. Turn to Joshua twenty four fifteen. Joshua 24, 15. You start in 14. It says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the centuries that make up the Old Testament, uh, you know, hundreds of years here, uh, there, is a, there is very little evidence of people gathering for congregational worship. What we experience today is a huge blessing. It's a beautiful picture of this fulfillment of the covenant that we have with Christ. But that wasn't what they had then. So if he, as he says, choose this day who you're going to worship, he's saying, guys, when you go home and you're with your families, you're going to have to choose who you actually worship in your homes. Some of your fathers worshipped lowercase g gods, false gods. And I encourage you to choose this day who you'll worship because me and my family, me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Only after the Babylonian exile, um, Ben talked about that on Sunday in Isaiah, um, Late in Old Testament history, in hundreds of years after Solomon built the temple, only then did local synagogues develop, and then people began to worship God congregationally on a weekly basis. But even then, it was often the men. And even then, you wouldn't go inside. It was a smaller building, and the priesthood would go inside. But you wouldn't. You would bring your sacrifice, you would drop it off, and then there would be lots of people outside gathered. So it wasn't anything like what we have today when we think of church and worship. So you genuinely, I mean, think about the hundreds of years that the faith of our forefathers was passed on. It was done in homes. It was done with families. It was done because people took seriously the call to be the main disciple makers in the lives of their children. And so for you, whether whether you're a couple with no children, whether you're a couple with lots of children, you are to serve the Lord in your home. And you, if you have children, you're to be the main disciple maker. You don't assume that someone else will do that because this is how our faith made it to us. If, if, if people hadn't done this before us, we wouldn't be sitting here believing in Jesus and knowing who the one true God is. Um, Asaph, turn to Psalm 78. Our goal here is to see some biblical examples of family worship. Proof, biblically, that the home should be a place of worship daily. And in Psalm 78, there were th- there's really three assigned psalmists, and Asaph is one of them. And here in Psalm 78, it says, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. Such a high call on the head of the household, on those who are called to lead. I'm going to tell you things that our fathers told us. And, and what did the fathers tell them? We will not hide these things, them, 
from their children. But tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So we see that over the generations, there were those who steered away from God because they failed to do this. And the way that God redeemed and kept them moving in the faith was by telling that coming generation the deeds of the Lord, by talking about what God has done, what God is doing, and what God is going to do to make sure that's not hidden from children. We can look around today and see the product of, a, of generations of children where the truth of God was hidden from them in a sense, where those leading their families didn't do this. They didn't tell the coming generation. They didn't share the deeds of the Lord. There's so many that have no idea about that. And that's why the church is always a church on mission. And so here we see that so much important um, faith movement happens in the home. The fathers would have carried out teaching the praise of the Lord in their homes. This is helpful because it reminds us that like when I sit down and I'm like, okay guys, I feel like a big loser because I haven't done this in a while. But we're going to sit and we're going to talk about something in particular. Uh, I know that my wife, who does some homeschooling with a couple of our kids, that she's already done something like this. And so it's like the end of the day, and they're tired usually, and I'm trying to do this. And I'll sit, and I'll be like, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I'll get frustrated because I'll have a high expectation for what's going to happen. And I, I may share something that I think, man, this is just going to blow their minds. They're, they're going to be like, gosh, Dad, you, you love us so much with the truth of God. Thank you. I'm going to sleep better tonight. You know, I want something, you know, magical to happen in that moment. And this is helpful because this reminds us, you have to teach them the praise of the Lord. I mean, you can't just assume they're just going to praise God. They're just going to step out and be blown away by who God is. And they're going to surrender everything. And they're going to move in just this wild obedience. That, that's something that is taught. Because they're not just going to stumble into holiness because that's not how it works for anybody. So the fathers um, would have carried out teaching the praise of the Lord in their homes. And even by the time of the, that the Psalms were written, there was much less congregational worship than we might imagine. And some of this um, probably involved segregating the fathers from the rest of the family. So they may go to worship, but then they got to go home and make sure they lead their families well. Um, likely these fathers gave this instruction in the home during a time called family worship. Let's look at an example from the New Testament. Um, Paul in Ephesians uh, 5. Ephesians 5.25 is a pastoral letter to the church in Ephesus. And um, he says in 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So what's a husband supposed to do right there? It's no small call. It's nothing, there's nothing light about this. What's the husband supposed to do according to that verse? Give himself up for his wife. And how does he do that particularly in this verse? Speak truth. Washing with the water of the word. That can't happen quickly. That can't happen. Um, I took my truck to try to wash it the other day because my daughter had written Hattie real big in the dirt on the side of the truck. And I thought, well, I'm so glad she's learning her letters, but don't ride on my truck. And so I went to the car wash, and we were in a hurry, and I just threw my little token in, and I got the pressure washer, and, <laughs> and I was done in like, it was like 90 seconds. It was amazing. It was like I did it. It was like, you know, time be done, and we're, we're moving on. And then I got home, and the truck had dried, and on the side, it said, Hattie, real big. And it was like, oh, I guess I did that a little fast. It's going to take more time to actually be effective in that. It's the same way when husbands are called to, to sanctify your bride, to cleanse her by the washing of water with the word. You've got to sit down. You've got to be uninterrupted. Frankly, you can't do that via text. I, 
my wife and I communicate a lot via text. And sometimes I'm like, do we communicate more via text than we do, you know, verbal talking? Um, because you're go, 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 go. Has anyone ever texted their spouse from another room in the same house? No? Yeah, yeah me either. That's, that's weird. Yeah, can't imagine that. This is something that takes time, and it's something that takes intentionality. You can't take the pressure washer approach with it. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means in those moments where there's a, a teachable moment or maybe it's a, a, a point of disobedience, your movement as a father can't be to provoke them to anger, to make them angry. Your movement has to be a calculated disciplining and instructing what God tells them to do. It takes more than just stop. It, it takes time to explain what's going on. And a lot of that can be explained in family worship. You can utilize those times to address particular issues that maybe your family needs. Consistent, father-led family worship is one of the best, steadiest, and most easily, easily measured ways to bring up children in the Lord's discipline and instruction. Even 1 Timothy 3 says that one of the requirements of, a, of an elder is a proven commitment to family worship. Um, as it's implied, as one of the qualifications that we have to make sure our house is in order. It says if you can't manage your own house, how in the world are you going to manage when the people of God gather? And the, the implication is you, you can't do that. If things are in disorder there, they're going to be in disorder at the church. And the church is supposed to be beautiful. And then Peter, in 1 Peter 3, 7. Um, 1 Peter 3, 7 says... Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of God, so that your prayers may not be hindered. That, that says that the worship that goes on as a family in the house is as such that you are to live with your wife in a way that it has this environment of understanding. And if you do not do that, God says your communication as a husband and a wife is so important that if it's not right, you're not working on it, you're not taking that call seriously, he will interrupt your communication with him. Live in an understanding way so that your prayers are not hindered. So some of you may be thinking, my prayers are hindered. And it's possible that if your prayers to God are hindered, it may be that you're not living with your wife in an understanding way. So it's a pretty significant high call, and it's something that, again, it can't be rushed. God cares so much about y'all's communication with each other, y'all living together in an understanding way, y'all not having conflict and confusion, that he will interrupt his communication with you so that um, you will focus on your communication with your spouse. And a question that I would ask is, um, that's convicted me before, when one of the first times I read that, I just remember thinking, would I even know if my prayers were being hindered? Would I even know if my prayers to God were being hindered? Would I even know if our prayers as a couple were being hindered. And it's something for you to consider. The assumption that Peter makes here is that Christian couples pray together, not just separately. Spurgeon once said of this verse, the text, this text would be most appropriately used to stimulate Christians' diligence in family prayer. I esteem it so highly that no language of mine can adequately express my sense of its value. That was Spurgeon, one of our heroes of the faith, saying, I cannot even begin with my own words to say how important this verse is about your prayers not being hindered because you're living together in an understanding way. The main point that we see in all these examples, and the motivation behind them, is God deserves to be worshipped the way that God says he should be worshipped, and that should happen regularly in our homes. I want to cover just a couple quick examples from Christian history. Um, I know that everyone gets very fired up when we start talking about Christian history and, uh, and details and dates and names that we're not familiar with. But um, there's some really great examples here. And there's some things that I read where I'm like, there were some seasons where they took family worship like really seriously. And so we're going we're gonna to see some of these quotes and some, and some different things. Tertullian uh, states in the second century. So this is like, you know, the first, you know, 100 years after Christ. He says, uh, they, the family, pray together, worship together, instructing one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another, singing psalms and hymns to one another. And hearing and seeing this, Christ rejoices. This is someone who was in tune with the Christian community that was very young at that time. And this is how he characterizes the Christian family and the Christian home. 
John Chrysostom, the, the golden-mouthed pre uh, preacher, uh, urged that every house should be church and every head of a family a spiritual shepherd, remembering the account he must give for his children. This is someone who played a significant role in the forward movement of the gospel while he was alive. And he's saying, treat the house like a church. Now remember, I'm, I'm going to explain something later. Where it doesn't replace church, but church also wasn't ever meant to replace family worship. They go together. They're, they're not mutually exclusive. They, they, they go together in God's design. Martin Luther wrote, <coughs> Abraham, who had in his tent a house of God and a church, just as today any godly and pious head of household, uh, instructs his children in godliness. Therefore, such a house is actually a school and a church. And the head of the household is a bishop and priest in his house. He was explaining that it's not just church, but it's school too. You're raising them up. You're training them. All truth is God's truth. That's something I talk about with my kids every morning on the way to school. That's one of the few uninterrupted times. We'll pray together on the way to school, and I'll remind them, all truth, if it's genuinely truth, is ultimately God's truth. So enjoy math today in worship when you are mad that you have to do it. Enjoy uh, having to read. Enjoy learning new things in grammar and whatever else. Enjoy history because all truth, if it's genuinely truth, is ultimately God's truth. The home is a school and a church. Now check this one out. The Westminster Confession includes a companion document known as the, Director for Fam the Directory for Family Worship. And listen to what the Directory for Family Worship states concerning any husband or father who neglects the spiritual responsibility of his family. He is to be gravely and sadly reproved by the session. This would be the elder leadership of the church, the session. After which reproof, if he be found still to neglect family worship, let him be for his obstinacy in such an offense suspended and debarred from the Lord's Supper as being justly esteemed unworthy to communicate therein till he amend. So the church's statement, if, if we sort through all the, the, the words there, if you're not leading your family at home, you don't get the supper. They're exercising discipline by people who don't take seriously the call to be the main disciple makers of your children in your home. By men who don't take seriously the call to love and lead and sanctify and wash your wives with the water of the word. So that was a serious, when I read that I was like, good night. How many of us would have to not take the supper this week if the requirement was, no show of hands, don't do I don't want it to get weird. I don't want it to get weird. But if, if, if the requirement was, did you lead your family well this week? Did you take that seriously? No, I had too much soccer practice. Is that a, a reasonable excuse to, to not lead my family? And so I'm reading that going, good night. I don't know how I would have done in that church. I, I would have been, um, certainly would have been encouraged to take more seriously the call to, to lead my family daily in our home. Matthew Henry wrote, turn your families into little churches. And a visitor to Spurgeon's home once wrote, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, when bowed before God in family prayer, appeared a grander man even than when holding thousands spellbound by his oratory. This book that uh, I showed you earlier has lots of other quotes, lots of other historical examples, and some other biblical examples that are worth looking at. Um, the elements of family worship. So we've talked about it, right? We've, we've talked about history. We've talked about scripture. We've only got a few minutes left, but what are the actual... So, okay, great. What are you talking about? Here's the elements of family worship. You ready? It's going to blow your mind. Oh, it's already up there. Look, your mind's already been blown. Read, pray, and sing. Y'all good? I'm going to pray and dismiss. Y'all do that. We're good to go, right? I mean, it sounds easy enough, right? It's not like, okay, that's too hard. I mean, at best, you could look at that and be like, I've got a terrible voice. I can't do the singing thing. My, my children will mock me if I try that. But read, pray, and sing. Read the word. Um, just read the word. Just read the Bible. If your children are younger, um, one of the encouragements is to focus on narratives because it helps them to stay along with the story. As they get older, you can do some more time, some more. You don't have to like be. You don't have to take guitar lessons or piano lessons to prepare for this. I mean, sing hymns. I've been convicted that my kids, 
I was a worship pastor for over a decade. For over a decade, I led worship almost every Sunday. And I picked up a guitar the other day, and my five-year-olds are like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like I didn't even know you could do that. And so I, what I was convicted about, though, was that, man, there's some hymns, rich hymns that, like, my kids don't know because they don't hear them every Sunday. And they're not hearing them in our home. And so it, this is not a complex um, thing that we're talking about. We're talking about something very simple. Read, pray, sing. Read the word. Stick to narratives if they're younger. And really, you can do all three of those, especially if you have younger kids. Just do it in 10 minutes. I mean, my, that's part of my problem is I'll sit down and be like, all right, kids, I've prepared, I spent two hours preparing our study tonight, and then we're going to dig in, and this is too high of an expectation. Just open your Bible, read what the Lord leads you to, spend some time in prayer preparing, but don't prepare pages of notes. Read the Bible, um, pray, teach them how to pray, like Corey was saying earlier. They have to be taught that. Um, my kids will catch on to lingo, and they'll use it improperly, and they'll pray, and I'm like, what did, you, what did, what did that even mean? And they're like, oh, oh, I'm just trying to pray. It's like, they're, they're trying to learn, so try to teach them. And then the singing part is just, it doesn't have to be, um, it doesn't have to be some amazing thing where you're going to go on the road as a family and sing praise and worship. It's just praising God. God loves it when his children sing his praises. You don't have to have a beautiful voice to do that. It's beautiful to the Lord. He's the one who said, bring a sacrifice of praise. He's the one who made that okay. There, that's a reason that we all get together and sing on Sundays and we don't bring a bunch of goats with us, okay? Like we bring a sacrifice of praise. This is pleasing unto the Lord. So a couple of things you don't see here are preaching. One thing is preaching. Well, isn't that an important part of worship? Yes, an utterly important part of worship when we gather as the church. But preaching is not accommodated to private or family worship because it involves a calling of a preacher, a preacher himself, and a congregation of hearers. So, you know, you might think, well, I can preach to my kids if I want to. Okay, I understand what you're saying. But preaching itself was not consigned to private movement in the home. So when we look at our corporate worship, the things that we can glean and say we can do that at home are read, pray, and sing. And that doesn't mean you can't expose the word and teach the word, but the preaching is something that's a little bit different. And the reason that we have to see these differences is, remember, I'm not trying to show you something that replaces the church. The other thing is the supper. I'm not saying you can't ever take the supper as a family and enjoy God together, but that's not what God's regular movement for his gathered people is. The supper was given to the church body not to individual Christians or families, and it was given to us in large part to say, this brings us all together. It's the body and blood of Christ that unites us. And so it's kind of weird to do that in a more isolated form. So that's why we stick to read, pray, and sing, because preaching and supper are far more appropriate for the gathered church. Three reminders for family worship. Brevity, regularity, and flexibility. Read, pray, and sing for 10 minutes. Like, total. 10 minutes. It won't feel spectacular. It may feel like a failure a lot of the time, but I guarantee over time it will have a beautiful effect that you guys will be able to account to one another. You'll be able to hear from your children things you haven't heard before because of a, what began as a 10-minute commitment each day. Regularity. Try to have a regular time each day for family worship. Uh, give the family something to look forward to. Don't just hope that you'll do it when there's free time because you won't have any free time. I promise, it, it won't, it's just, it's kind of the whole, you don't stumble into holiness, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen upon, you don't just happen upon that. And the third is flexibility. Whatever time you choose, consider the wisdom of adapting a time when the family's already accustomed to being together. Like, if, if you sit down for breakfast every morning, like, like Kyle was saying, do it at that time. If you sit down for dinner most nights, do it at that time. If you're gathering to say prayers before bed, do it at that time. Don't try to create a whole new time where you got to get regather everyone. Use, use what you got and don't overcomplicate it. Um, and, but also, with flexibility, make sure that flexibility doesn't lead to inconsistency. That's something that I struggle with. Like, hey, we're, we're going to be flexible, so we're not going to do it on Tuesdays or, you know, or Thursdays or you know, Mondays. We've got soccer Mondays. Okay, we're so flexible that we don't ever do it. And so that's what you don't want to happen. Don't let your flexibility lead to inconsistency. Uh, I want you to look at Genesis 35 in closing. 
Genesis 35. This is God blessing and renaming Jacob. This is this is that lineage, and this is where Jacob is kind of taking over as as the next um, the next patriarch, the next heir, the next one in the line that will lead to Christ. Genesis 35. God said to Jacob, "Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there." to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So if you know the story about Jacob and Esau, um, when Jacob fled from Esau, um, he made a pillar. And so this is a picture of completeness because he's returning to a place where he made a pillar and he's making an altar because he wants this to be a place of worship because it's an example of God seeing him through his trials and, 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 and sustaining him so that he could then pass on the truth of God to the next generation. And it says, uh, so Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. It's this picture of change that is hopefully, if you feel called to do family worship in your home, which I hope you do, it's a picture of saying, okay, it's time to clean up. It's time to put away some gods, maybe some idols that we have. I mean, what are some, what are some foreign gods that we may need to consider as families as we aim to move in genuine family worship with the one true God? I mean, as he went to his family and said, okay, guys, I know there are gods. I know you're worshiping other gods. It's time to put away those things. What are some things that we battle against daily that we may have to lead our families in putting away so that we can move obediently in family worship. Soccer. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Y'all met Bill? He's subtle like a shotgun. He's... Our, last, our last seven games are Saturday. We'll start on Sunday. The phone? The, the blessed phone, yes. Computers, phones, iPads, TV. It's tricky. Yeah. Yep. Yep. What Ben saying in his sermon, N plus one, however much you have, plus one. Yeah. What else? What are some other idols? Things got to be taken, put away so that we can actually worship as families in our homes. Say that again. Yeah. That's simple, but quite profound. You have to be at home. Absolutely. Sometimes I'll try to, you know, I'll be moving in, a, in like a real holy way. And, and I'll be like, I'm not doing Facebook anymore. I'll take it off my phone. Be like, I'm not doing whatever else is on here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this off. I'm going to take this off. No social media so that I can be with my family. I can be present when I'm present. <clears throat> and then I'll realize, oh, I have like 20 books on here that I've been wanting to read. And so we'll be sitting there and I'm like reading a book on my phone. You're not really present, are you? Way to go. You're not on Facebook, but you're reading a book. And so you're on book, book, not Facebook. Is, uh, what else? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's a huge struggle I have at the end of the day. At the end of the day, I've, I've worked hard, like most of you. And I get home. And... It's not real easy to gather all the crazy people and have a time with God. And so it takes work. And sometimes that is dying to yourself. Kind of like doing the dishes or the laundry at the end of the day. Uh, if we can do the dishes and the laundry, I think we can, we can worship together. It goes on here. It says, so they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. If you're hesitant to embark on this family worship thing in your home, um, I encourage you to respond just as willingly as Jacob's family. Just, just do it. 
that this was a time where God was saying, Jacob, it's time for you to step up. And Jacob said, all right, family, we've got to put away the foreign gods. We've got to put away the idols. And their response was that they did it. They listened to Jacob, and they moved accordingly. And I just want to encourage you that it's good for your family to encourage one another in this. It's good as you know, husband and wife, like, trumpet each other's successes. Encourage one another. Um, don't roll your eyes at each other. Don't, don't feel like, don't make it look like a waste of time. If it's important to both of you, your children will see that. Um, but if you're hesitant, um, encourage one another and really trust God to help you. Because <clears throat> Jacob's calling here, much like that of his, his father, um, was, not, was not because of how awesome he was. I mean, God was doing something bigger than them. And God was helping them to move in a way that was far beyond their natural ability. And so what we're talking about here is not something that's impossible for anybody to do. Um, if God calls you to it, he equips you for it. And we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And so um, reading this account of Jacob here in Genesis 35 is, is an encouragement that you can stand up and you can, you can change that and you can change how you spend your time. And God can and should be genuinely worshipped in your homes every day, some way. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And uh, I'm thankful that, that you give us so many examples. I'm thankful for our, our rich church history um, that we stand, that reminds us that we stand on the shoulders of great people who have gone before us. Uh, Lord, I just confess uh, in front of everybody, and maybe with some uh, here tonight, that um, I, ha I neglect this, and, and I, I never run out of reasons to neglect this. And rarely um, do I uh, find that this, these kinds of things take great priority. Um, there are times, Lord, where I, I believe each of us you know, have times of prayer, encouragement with our families, but Lord, this is more of a concerted effort to really worship you together and to do so every day. And so uh, whether we're starting at square one or whether we're just trying to improve and continue to move in obedience, I pray that you would equip and encourage each of us that we'd have a continual awareness of your presence and that we would move in that spirit of power, love, and self-control as we lead our families to worship you. You are great and greatly to be praised. And we humble ourselves before you tonight. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.